in the uh, Finder and say, oh, oh, yeah, Brian, it's recording. Oh, my goodness. Hiya. You did something right. Yes, hi. Am I, pronoun- am I pronouncing your name right? Hiya? Yes. Very nice to meet you. And, and your last name is uh, Al Sharhan? Al Sharhan? Al Sharhan, yeah. Al Sharhan. Al Sharhan. Yes. Al Sharhan. Hiya, Al Sharhan. Hiya, I'm Sevan uh, Matosian. Thanks for coming on the podcast. That's Brian Friend. Brian is an expert in a lot of things. One of them is in human movement and in just uh, games athletes in general. He's a he's a big fan of the CrossFit Games and the sport and and what a what a pleasure to have you on. So I I, I live on Haya's uh, uh, in Kuwait. And for those of you who don't know, and I and, and I know uh, a lot of Americans are struggling with their geography. Kuwait is a very small country surrounded by the Persian Gulf, Iraq, Iran, and Saudi Arabia. Um, it is north of Saudi Arabia. Well, Saudi Arabia kind of, yeah, let's just say for, for ease of use, it's north of Saudi Arabia and south of Iraq and Iran. And then on the other side, it has the beautiful Persian Gulf. Did I describe where you live correctly? Yes. And what time is it there? Uh, right now it's 9 p.m. Okay. And I am in California, which is on the west coast of the North American continent. I'm about 300 miles north of Los Angeles and 100, uh, about a little less than 100 miles south of San Francisco. And Brian is in Chicago, which is sort of, for ease of thought, it's in the north center of the United States of America. I'm familiar with American geography. Okay, it's not for you. It's not for you. It's not for you. It's not for you. It's just to show how international the show is. Okay. Um, uh, uh, I've always had this theory that um, that that we have uh, healthier people in the in the warmer climates in the United States, particularly on the coasts. Because people wear less clothes and therefore there's a peer pressure to um, have a better body and look better. And I was um, chatting back and forth with Haya on Instagram and I shared this theory with her after seeing a lot of the st- statistics coming out of the UAE. And I've spent a little time in Dubai. I've spent more significant time in um, Lebanon and uh, in Syria. Um, but um, I had this theory that when you covered the people, specifically the women, that that would give them a default to not look as healthy because there wouldn't be this peer pressure that basically you could hide under this this sheet or this garb that they have that's kind of free-flowing and wouldn't hug to your fat rolls. And and of course, I say that for myself because I hate wearing a t-shirt that shows my chubby tummy, which isn't chubby anymore. And, um, and I shared this with Haya and, you know, when this day and age, you never know how people are going to respond. And instead of being defensive, she gave me a very, very thoughtful, um, response, um, thoughtful and and intelligent. And I thought, man, I got to have Haya on the show so she can, um, basically, um, uh, I'm going to try not to swear in this show. For some reason, I feel like I have to be extra uh, polite around (laughs) you. It's um, your show. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> I, I, I thought, well, ma'am, maybe she could help unfuck me with all my prejudices and misconceptions. Because <laughs> after reading her, her post to me, I was like, wow, yeah, okay. 
So, um, before before we get before we get into stuff like that and, and the culture, which is what really what I, a lot what I'd like to talk about, because I think people in the United States, um, since we don't we don't know Kuwait, so few of us have been to Kuwait, we don't understand the culture at all, and we just get it from our TV, and our TV's been lying to us a lot lately, and so it's important to hear from people who are actually living in the country and from those people. But tell me about you have, you have a fascinating Instagram. Um, you're clearly a very typical CrossFitter. You're managing kids, you're managing elite performance and you're passionate and you're obsessed with lifting heavy objects over your head. So, um, how old are you? I'm, I'll be 34 in July. And you're a mother of two beautiful children. Yes, I have two daughters, seven-year-old and a three-year-old. And how did Haya and CrossFit, how did their paths um, cross? What's the origin there? Um, do you want all the details? <laughs> I mean, I could... Uh, yeah, give it to um, us. Give it to us. Let's sure. hear it. Um, okay, so... And... Before CrossFit, I had zero knowledge in, in fitness. Um, I would try, you know, to be healthy, but it was just, you know, your typical, um, you know, jog, you know, as much as you can, or, you know, do like these random fitness magazine workouts at home, um, and then just try to eat less, not eat healthy. Uh, that was basically my limited knowledge when it comes to fitness and health. And then uh, in 2012, I randomly by chance saw on TV, there was uh, a local uh, CrossFit competition, a really small competition throwdown happening in Dubai, and they were, they were showing it on TV. And Dubai, I think, is probably the first place in our region that um, started to bring in CrossFit and introduce CrossFit. And uh, I saw it and I thought it looked really cool. There was, I think there was a couple of local girls and I was like amazed by what they were doing. I mean, when I look back now, it's, it's basically nothing. I mean, they were do probably like carrying a sandbag and throw tossing it over their shoulder. At the time, it just seemed very impressive and it was not like something I've seen before. So I, I looked up, I Googled CrossFit in Kuwait and I didn't find anything. I did that, I think for a couple of weeks and then one day, um, a tweet popped up you know a tweet as in from twitter and um there was this guy uh his name is yusuf al-baksumi and he basically was saying that there's a sport called crossfit um and uh i want to you know i want to uh, share it with you guys so i'm doing a free workout outdoors uh, anyone who's interested you're more than welcome to join so i grabbed my sister and i'm like we have to go and we went and it was so much fun. It was a group of uh, girls and guys. And we did like a bunch of body weight workouts. There was a few like kettlebells and dumbbells and some sandbags and stuff like that. We had a blast. And when we finished, he let us know that he was going to open uh, an affiliate, which was the first affiliate in Kuwait. And he told us the date, the location, and we were all super excited. You know, we signed up right away. And then I became one of the first group of people to join that gym, which was CrossFit Q8. And that was the first affiliate in Kuwait at the time in 2012. And I just fell in love with it. I mean, I, I didn't grow up passionate about anything. I didn't grow up particularly good at anything. Like I didn't excel at anything. And I felt like with CrossFit, I found um, 
I guess you can say my, my niche. Uh, like I found something I'm good at, something um, I saw potential in myself, and I just loved how it made me feel. It introduced me to a whole different world. Um, and that's basically it. But I, I also should add that, that um, Yusuf al-Baksumi is now my husband, and we both run the gym together. <laughs> <laughs> so this is 2000 this is 2012 so that was nine years ago you're 34 now so you were 25 years old yes that's when and I your first story started. sounds very your story sounds very very and your story sounds very typical i think that was yes i i can't speak for brian but i think that's um my my thing too i was basically just going to the gym and doing workouts that i saw in magazines and if i wanted to lose weight i just ate less so i think that yeah. was the I think, I think that was it. You, so you saw the competition from Dubai. You weren't, and, and, um, it's interesting that you say that it wasn't a big deal. It's not a big deal now relative to what, what the human beings are doing today, but you weren't intimidated at all. No. And honestly, I didn't grow up playing sports. Um, I, I have a younger brother and he was into soccer or football. And, um, that was basically it. Um, my sister is an artist um i was you know good in school but there was nothing particular that i enjoyed um i when i went to university i graduated with an art history degree which i loved and i worked at a museum for a while um so you know i had zero background in sports and um i don't know i just uh, it just looked i'm not sure you know i just saw it and and it was like it was like calling me. I don't, I don't even know how to explain it. I ask because so many people, you know, when I was working at CrossFit HQ, one of the the big, you know, never ending debates was, do the games bring people in or do they scare people away? And obviously, mm -hmm. you know, it's not black and white. There's, there's, it, there's both. You were obviously yeah, 25 sure. young, but like me, you had, you had no, I had no athletic background. And I actually, one of the best things about CrossFit is, I found in a world of fitness and movement where usually all the other boys and girls were better than me, I actually found things like, oh my God, I'm actually better than some people at some of this stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and you're right. That was a very nice feeling. That was an incredible feeling. Um, I'm going to jump ahead here and then we'll go back. What is the courtship process like? So you, you, with, with Yusef, how, how, tell me about, um, I'm a little older and, and nowadays I think um, people are using like Tinder and I, I don't, I've never actually seen that oh, app, but I, you just look yeah. at a picture and you swipe and then that. if people like each other, they get to meet. <laughs> but yeah, I, but, I'm, but, but I'm from a little bit apps, of an older but, school. Yeah. It sounds like you had, <laughs> it sounds like you had a more traditional um, courtship process that was more like um, what I was used to. You have to actually talk to the person yes. and there has to be a lot of awkward moments and then you have to ask for their phone number and then pretend <laughs> like you don't like them, but try to spend more time <laughs> with them. But what, tell, tell me, tell me about this, this courtship process. Were you single at the time when you met him? Yeah, I was. And, you know, dating in, in our culture and is taboo, but it happens. Um, but the way, the way it worked for, for us is his sister was with us in the, in the class, in the gym. And, uh, we all became, we were a small group of girls when we first joined because I'm sure CrossFit did look intimidating to the majority of our, um, society in Kuwait at that time. I mean, now it's completely different. CrossFit is very popular, but at the time there weren't many girls, 
um, lifting weights, you know. Um, so we were a small group of girls and we became really close and his sister was with us as well. And we got to know each other. And I have to, I have to add that Yusuf was extremely professional and, um, he, he's, you know, very passionate about work, his work. He's a great coach and he never, and he never gave off any impression that he was interested in anybody, you know. Um, he has that, that, um, he has that, you know, that tough look, uh, uh, personality type, you know, like I'm here to do my job. I'm not here to make friends and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, his sister, his sister got to know me and then, I guess she saw something in me and we all went out for for like a, a a dinner and she started asking us a bunch of girls in general about mar- questions about marriage and stuff like that but I could I I sensed that she was focusing more on my answers so I started to get <laughs> I started to get a feel that you know something might be up and then um and then from then on we did the the traditional thing where basically he will, you know, he would tell his mom, I'm interested in this girl. And then his mom would speak to my family. And then, you know, and then we'd take the next step from there where we can exchange numbers and, and talk more. But I mean, he was also my coach at the gym, so I would see him all the time. Um, but, you know, through the phone, we would have more personal conversations. And when you say traditional, this is a tough question to ask you, but what percentage of the, the, or, or tough question maybe to answer, not to ask, but what percentage of the relationships in Kuwait start like that, it, being with that formal tradition where his, his sister um, feels you out, gets a sense of you, and then the pa- and then the parents do their part, and then the the couple begins. Is that is that uh, like ninety yeah, percent? Is that ninety five percent? A big a big majority, but I mean, not I can't say. It. I can't say it happens to everyone. There are a lot of people that start out dating, um, and then they'll, they'll get married and their families are totally okay with that. And then there are the families who would go through it the same way that I did. And then there are other families where the, the girl and the guy don't even know each other. It's just like relatives that assume that they would, that they would make a good couple and then try to, you know, set them up. So it depends, it depends it's, it's mostly on the family. My history- It's interesting because in this country we we have a really um, romanticized relationships and love, and I grew up thinking that too. Like you go out there and you meet this perfect mate in the world, and and, and my history on this isn't great, and I'll probably get torn up a little bit for this, but I think that's really a modern phenomenon, and that basically if you just go back not even that many years, maybe just even a couple hundred years, the entire globe married for survival. And it wasn't just about love, but it was about survival. Okay, your family cuts down trees. My family let's, makes paper. Let's get them together so we can keep keep the process going. And so as foreign as maybe what you're saying sounds to um, people of this country, it's really a, a, a modern phenomenon, this, this whole romanticized, uh, you know, true love thing. I agree as, with as opposed that, you to know? arranged marriages yeah. or doing stuff for 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 survival, you know, and and survival yeah. is important. I'm not I'm not downplaying that at all. It's survival. Yeah. Um, survival is important. And so, um, how long did you date before you were? Did you get before you got married? It was a few months. Just a few months. And then that's it. Just a yeah. few months. Yeah, but within those the, the within those few months, we did. You know, we asked each other all the big questions that we needed to know. Like we, 
we, you know, because the majority of our relationship would be through conversation. And, you know, we try to get to know each other as, as much as we can through that. And then also, you know, just seeing each other's actions and, you know, trying to understand each other more. You know, I, I, what you said about, about relationships and marriage being so romanticized, it's so true. Like we're sold this idea that, you know, love always has to come first. And I've seen so many successful relationships where it doesn't start out that way. I mean, don't get me wrong. People, couples here, of course, there has to be some form of attraction. Um, and, you know, if the girl or the guy is not interested, they can refuse and say they don't want to. That's not like nobody's forced into, into a marriage. Um, but yeah, I think a conversation has to be a conversation, communication and, and asking each other, you know, the important questions being able to get to know each other. And then also after that, within the marriage, within the relationship, is learning how to compromise, learning how to communicate with each other is extremely important. Um, there are for sure couples that, you know, j- it just doesn't work out because the, the communication isn't there. And I think that's something I'm, I'm usually a very quiet person and I keep to myself. And Yusuf likes to talk things out a lot. And I learned a lot from him in that sense where you know, we always try to work things out. And, and I learned how important communicating how you feel is and how, how that can keep a relationship strong. So in, in my, I'm Armenian, I'm 100% Armenian. Both my parents are Armenian. Um, one side of my family came, uh, via Turkey and the other side came through, uh, from Beirut. And, in my culture, um, bluntness, w- what Americans would think is blunt is just normal conversation. It's, it's, it's very, there's very yeah. straightforward talk. And, um, on the other end, and my, I've only been to Japan a couple times and I don't know a lot of Japanese people, but on the other end of that spectrum, from what I've heard about Japanese culture, it's the exact opposite. You know, like if someone, like, I'm saying no to someone is, I've heard is taboo in, in, um, Japan with Japanese people. I know I'm making sweeping generalizations. And then in the, in America, we're somewhere in the middle. We're somewhere in the yeah. middle. There's, there's a, um, although it seems like more and more we're losing our bluntness and we're being more concerned about being sensitive and, um, how is it in Kuwait? I, I imagine that these are, the, I, I imagine you to be similar to my people, to be very blunt, that there's not a lot of, uh, that dishonesty amongst people is not, you know, in Armenia, if you get pulled over by the cops, you jump out of the car and you put your arm around the police officer and you guys start arguing with each other. If you did that in the United <laughs> States, you get shot, you know? Yeah. But th- there's just a whole different cultural, um, phenomenon going on what what's it like there in your homeland with people are you guys a blunt people I think are you guys pretty blunt but i think it depends as well you know i i can't generalize um but yeah i think leaning more towards being more blunt for sure and you're smart to not generalize that's what gets me in trouble <laughs> sorry brian go ahead well, i was just curious uh what what do you consider to be the like important conversations to have in your culture prior to marriage. In the United States, usually people would say you want to talk about if you want both want to have kids or not. Uh, you want to have a financial conversation and probably a religious conversation is uh, you know kind of the big three maybe. Are those similar there or are there other things to consider or are maybe some of those That's, not important? No, that those are similar conversations, but what I, I found it hilarious is, you know, Yusuf, he's not he's not very romantic and he's very straightforward when he speaks. 
And, you know, I, I still remember that I laughed through, throughout this whole conversation when he was asking me because he would basically make up these scenarios and, and ask me what my, you know, response would be or, or, you know, how I would react in certain scenarios to try to get to know, to know me more. And I knew exactly what he was doing and I thought it was hilarious, but, um, that's, that's something that he did. So. <laughs> So you, you, so now I want to circle back to that original question that we 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 spoke about through Instagram, our first interaction with each other, and and I and and if you, I don't know if you can remember your answer, but but doesn't matter, y- you know the truth. Um, so m- tell me about my theory. Tell me about my theory. Is is the reason why that we're seeing such a huge spike in the UAE? Do you think that there's any relationship? What is your outfit called? What is that's a religious outfit? That's why you cover your head. Yeah, it's for it's for religious reasons, but you, you can say just being modest or whatever. But okay, and what's it called? the The headpiece is called a hijab. Hijab, and yeah. then and then you and then you have to keep your body, your whole body covered, all the way to your ankles, right? Yeah, ankles and your hands can show. And basically, you know, it, the the clothing okay. shouldn't be so tight fitted where you know a woman's curves would show and stuff like that. And is that outfit that covers your body? Does that have a name also? Uh, no, not necessarily. Because you can wear, you know, you can basically wear anything you want as long as it's, you know, something that's modest. And black is your preferred color. Just for me. <laughs> like, could you wear red one of those? <laughs> yeah, you you can for sure, for sure. There are there are some women that you know like to wear floral headpieces, but for me, I just like black in general. Since I was a kid, have you ever seen Have you ever seen a tie dyed one? I don't With think the Grateful so. Dead logo on it. <laughs> no. <laughs> Is the hijab big money? Is the hijab big money? Is there is that is there a designer hijab like? Is that is there a like holy cow! Look at her hijab. Yeah, for sure. There is competition in the hijab uh, market. And, and can you? Yeah, yeah. You'd think. And can you? Can you? Can you put other stuff on it? Like, can you put sequins yeah. on it or jewels yes. or can you do yeah. that or? Yeah, all you can jazz it up as much as you want. I wear the hijab <laughs> to be modest, but look at my fifty thousand dollars worth of diamonds. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I'm just picking on you, Haya. I've never, I've no, never seen a hijab. I, I, I don't do that, but I completely understand where you're coming from. I understand how, how, I mean, I, I don't know if I can say it wrong that that sounds, you know. But that's that that's also part of part of our our culture and and society where you know people will, you know, they'll they'll pick and choose um, what what they think is okay and not okay when it comes to religion or you know. In that sense, how you know you're you're showing off uh, you're showing off something that's like super expensive when it, you're supposed to be being modest. It's like um, what is the word? Like it contradicts itself. Uh, uh, yeah, a bit of a hypocrisy or yeah, contradiction. Yeah. So, so tell me about my theory. So, tell me about my theory about. That I, I was suspecting that the UAE and places where women are covered head to toe, that that's why they have a spike and they have such high rates of type two diabetes and chronic disease because they don't feel the peer pressure of having nice bodies. Yeah, I thought it was completely irrelevant. 
<laughs> I love it. I love it. And tell me why. And tell me why. Well, honestly, because you you're know, messing up my the- whole theory. You're messing up my whole theory about the West Coast. You're messing up my because- whole beach body theory. We still have that pressure here, really. I mean, uh, it's such um, people here can be really harsh when it comes to judging other people on on their body or how they look, and and then you know, and then you can't like for example, and I just I just realized also like what about countries where you know it's winter throughout the year and they're always covered up? Like, do they have an obesity problem? I, I don't know. Great point. Great point. Have you yeah, been you're right, to Wisconsin. I, 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 <laughs> well, well, Wisconsin definitely probably has an obesity problem in the United States, but you're right. I can think of – I bet you Finland doesn't or Norway doesn't relative to the UAE or the United States. So you're absolutely right. I'm sure yeah. tw- 11 months of the year they're covered head to toe in Finland and you're probably right. Well said. Yeah. I think well I, mean, I think it probably well, has more to do with out. like uh, – with the lifestyle and, and you know, the culture of – you know, maybe women in general not being that, not being encouraged to go into sports and stuff like that, as opposed to because we're covered up. And uh, I just wanted to on the on the modesty conversation. Is are there any um, rules or expectations about the parts of your body that you can show? Like, is makeup accepted there, or doing getting your nails done, stuff like that? Everyone's going to give you their own opinion when it comes to that. <laughs> it's. Uh, you know, religion can be can be tricky, and and you know, I'd rather not be the person to be preaching all, all the details about you know Islam. But everyone is going to give you their own opinion of what's okay and what's not okay, and what you know, what they feel comfortable doing or not. So you have you have all of that. You have people who are dressed modestly and who refuse to put on makeup, and you have women who dress modestly who put on all the makeup. And then you have women who say they dress modestly, but they're not really dressed modestly. So you have all of that. <laughs> Sounds like California. <laughs> um, go go ahead, Brian. Go ahead. I, 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 go ahead. Well, I have I, I have a friend here. It's a, he's a he's a Muslim man who trains at our gym, and he um, he trains for eleven months, and then he always takes Ramadan off. He doesn't train at all during Ramadan, and. Last the last time that the Dubai CrossFit Championships ran a competition, I was able to go there and work for the competition, and so I made some friends there that were Muslim. And I was I was asking my friend at the gym, um, I'm like, I'm pretty sure that like in the UAE they just kind of they accommodate for Ramadan by modifying the schedule of the gyms. And he goes, Well, I'm I'm from Pakistan, and there's a certain um, more more strict view of of working out during Ramadan where we just don't exercise for that month in that with that amount of intensity or whatever. He still goes for walks to get exercise, but he won't go to the gym. So I was just wondering in Kuwait if there's maybe both of those, if there are some people who do work out, some that choose not to, or or maybe, again, if that's kind of a personal thing. Yeah, again, uh, that that is a, a personal decision, but... I mean, there's no reason why, why you can't. I mean, what, like you said, we, we basically, we shift our, our day, you know, to start a little later. I mean, not everyone has the freedom to do that. I have two kids, so I still wake up at six and, and go back to bed, you know, after, after dawn. But, um, for, for me personally, my workouts, instead of working out in the morning, I now work out at, you know, 9 p.m., 10 p.m. Um, and, uh, you can still make it work. It just, it goes back to whatever, um, that person wants to do during Ramadan. Uh, it's tough. I mean, in Ramadan, 
uh, people have to they have to accept that it'll be a month where you can basically you can try your best to maintain but you're not going to be seeing any gains or any you know you're not going to be you know performing better than you usually do you will probably be performing worse um people are either sleeping too long or not having enough sleep they're either eating too much or they're not eating enough and you know the routine gets kind of messed up so you try to do your best within this month um people who who live outside of our region like maybe the US i don't know how uh what time what time they would have to break their fast so maybe it's hard to fit in you know the 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 hour that they break, they can break their fast and then when they have to fast again maybe it's not possible for him to work out during that period i'm not sure it'll again it depends on the person T- tell me tell me what ramadan is ramadan what, what is a month rules? in the tell me the, what it is and what are the rules around it it's some it's wait, a wait, month say in the, the word, islamic say calendar it again. ramadan no but you say I'm, we're saying Ramadan, and you're saying something a little different. Yeah, Ra- Ramadan. It's the the D. You can say it like a th. Ramadan. Like a Ramad- Ramadan. Ra- Ramathan. Ramathan. <laughs> oh, it's like a marathon, but a Ramathan. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Ramathan. Ra- yeah, okay. Ramadan. <laughs> Sorry. So, what is it? And tell me about tell me about some of the rules. Yeah, Ramadan. It's a it's a month in the Islamic calendar where. We have to um, fast throughout the day from the break of dawn until um, the until sunset, uh, and then we can break our fast. And basically, it's a month to reflect and you know to focus more on you know on prayer, on doing good deeds, and um, you know basically to to slow. I think it's a chance for people to to have their lives slow down a little and focus more on on what's important in life when it comes to. um religion and um for us in ramadan is is like it's a big you know it's a big celebration sort of like every time we break our fast usually we gather with family and it's like a big feast um i mean not many people did that this year because of you know because of corona but um usually ramadan also includes like big family gatherings and like you know have having big meals together and stuff like that Oh and when you're fasting you're not allowed to eat or drink anything. I, I went to Oh no water either. No. So I, I actually Zero. found that out that the no <laughs> water. I was playing in a uh I was playing in a soccer tournament years ago and we got we played against this all Muslim team early in the morning and then and they beat us. And then I saw them playing in a game in the afternoon and they looked totally depleted. And I was talking to one of the guys, and they're like, "Well, it's Ramadan, so not not only have we not eaten today, we also haven't been able Ramathan, to drink." Ramathan, Ramathan, Ramathan. Okay, Ramathan, Ramathan. But they also <laughs> haven't been able to drink any water. Yeah, it's or no, no, so you there's can't a, there's drink a, or eat. Uh, at the, at the local store here, there's I, I go to a local corner market here, and I thought the guy I've been going there for five years, and I thought the guy the owner was Mexican, and um. And the other day I walked in there and I'm like, AJ, you look amazing. I'm like, did you start? And he's probably like 55 years old. I'm like, your skin looks amazing. Have you been working out? He goes, no, Ramathan. I was like, uh, <laughs> I didn't know exactly what it was, but I knew there was some fasting involved. And I was like, that fasting yeah. shit really works. It was yeah. incredible. I mean, he looks like a new man. He looks like a yeah, new man. I mean, Do you if, see people get healthier during that month? It depends. I, I mean, not the majority don't because, um, 
because of the, you know, the family gathering and the feasting together and everyone's, you know, making, they have like specific dishes that they'll make for Ramadan and they're like extremely high in calorie and stuff like that. So it depends on the person and what you decide to do during this month. Um, for like, for me personally, um, it helped me f- feel lighter, healthier, and, you know, um, I can, you know, my mind is more clear throughout the day. Um, and I'm just making sure, you know, I'm eating the same healthy meals that I usually do. I just shifted everything to start from after sunset. So how old are the, how old do you, how old are you in Kuwait when you start doing that? Like, are your kids under that or under those rules also? No, it's basically, I mean, in Islam, it's when you hit puberty, but there are some families that have their kids fast at a young age. I think it's totally unnecessary. So, yeah. Yeah, people ask me all the time. I, I fast one day a week for 36 hours, and people ask me, do you do that to your kids? And I, I just absolutely not. Yeah. They need to yeah. They need to eat and grow. Yeah. Grow, grow, grow. You don't want to be I short agree. like me, five foot five. <laughs> whoa, whoa. Easy, easy, Haya, easy. <laughs> um, has your So when you work out, do you have a separate hijab for that you have for working out, like the one that's all sweaty and just ratty, your ratty workout hijab? Yeah, I I wear it's like a tighter headpiece, like um, similar to what I'm wearing now. Um, and the hijab that I, that I don't work in, work out in, is uh, you know more free flowing and it's looser and more yeah. And and how is it how, how is it staying on? Is it just a scarf and you pull it over and you have a you're no? This at a is young like this is it? actually like a headpiece that I just slip on and it's like super tight and it just it does it won't move. Like something like we would use in the United States for or, or anywhere for skiing, like you yes, pull it up, like yes. a, a ski a ski mask. Yeah, yeah. On a cold day, and yeah. I didn't actually grow fall, up wearing that. Does that ever fall off when you're work? Um, you did not. No, I I recently wore the hijab in 2015 after having my first daughter, and um, my biggest concern oh, was how how it would affect my CrossFit. <laughs> 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 and um, tell me about that. What what inspired you to um, wear the hijab? What what did your parents say? What did your friends and family say? What was the inspiration after you had your daughter? You know, I it's hard for me to explain because um, I you know I grew up. I went to an American school. My when you know my me and my family we traveled a lot, and we were what they what what they would call us here in Kuwait open minded and. Um, um, so, you know, growing up, you know, but we, we were, you know, we were religious, but not religious in a sense where my f- parents wouldn't, would force us into doing anything. Um, and when it came to the hijab, I didn't have any close relatives in Kuwait who wore the hijab. So it's not like I grew up with, you know, surrounded by, by women who wear hijab. And, um, af- as I got older, I just, you know, I just felt like it was the right time for me to do it. And um, when I did, uh, I didn't get, you know, the, the, the most um, supportive response from my family. Not because, not because for religious reasons. I'm not sure. I think it's more cultural reasons. Um, maybe sometimes women who wear the hijab are judged differently. Um, but, uh, yeah, I didn't get the... the the best support when it come when it came to some distant relatives, 
Um, but obviously my, my close relatives, my, my parents, my, my husband were all supportive and they were happy for me. And it was like, you know, it's a decision I made and we just go on with our life. So it's the reason why this conversation is important is not only what you're saying, but the fact that you have these two random guys, you know, I don't know, 10,000 miles away from you and that we're speaking so openly and cavalier about it and that it's not a big deal. It would be yeah. like if you said to me, hey, how did you choose your glasses or how did you choose that beard? But it is one of yeah. those things that people don't see in the United States. So when they see it, they're almost afraid to ask about it, talk about it, and they'd rather just sit on their judgments and their prejudices and their confusion. You know, they may go, yeah. you know, to why would you do that to your women or they, they, they come up with all sorts of, you know, ideas that suit their narrative. Yeah. And so I, I appreciate you know, I, you just just yeah, it's. I mean, it's just. Uh, it, it didn't change. It didn't change anything in my life. You know, I mean, for me, maybe personally and spiritually, it did. But other than that, it's just it's a, a decision that I decided to make, and um, it's not going to affect anyone else. And you know, and like I said before, I decided to do it. I mean, obviously, I had made up my mind about it, but I was so worried that. You know, how would I continue competing in CrossFit wearing, <laughs> wearing a hijab? But, um, but then, you know, I was, I was being naive and I just looked up, uh, I looked up, I Googled athletes, like Olympic athletes from different Muslim countries. And there are so many of them that compete in the Olympics and they're wearing hijabs and they're, you know, athlete, top athletes and like it doesn't affect their sports or their career in any way. So. Yeah, the two two questions. One is, uh, what environments do you not wear it in? And the other is, how has it affected the amount of time that you spend taking care of your hair? <laughs> um, I can I can uh, be without my hijab when I'm surrounded by uh, only women and uh, certain certain relatives like um, uh, my father-in-law, um, my my brothers, my my father's brothers. Um, my, my own brother. Um, but yeah, mostly like uh, in our gym, we have a women's only facility and a men's facility and our women's only facility. I coach without the hijab. So, um, so yeah, it's just, uh, you know, I spend most of my day either at home or coaching in the gym. So I don't even spend most of my day in the hijab. Um, so when it comes to my hair, it doesn't, it didn't make that much of a difference. Like Great I don't. So, so when you come home, it's like one of the first things you take off. Like I take off my shoes, <laughs> I take off my jacket. You like take off your hijab and let your head. Yes. Free. Yeah. Like ah, like taking off. You something. know, I have I have a funny story. You know, when it came uh, and about um, uh, people's perception of women in hijab, I actually um, in two thousand, I think it was two thousand sixteen, I competed in Wadapalooza in Miami, and I had my hijab at the time. And I got so much support. Um, I, you know, I did get a few weird looks here and there. I, I was probably the only person, woman in a hijab in Wadapalooza at that time, maybe ever. I don't know. And, um, uh, I still remember I got like a high five from, uh, Andrea Ager and Brooke Entz and, um, some of the, some of the people in the stands that came up to me and they were like super supportive with such, you know, nice comments. 
there was um, there was a swimming event and I, I was like surrounded by all the athletes, you know, in their normal swimming attire and bikinis. And I'm wearing like a full on wetsuit. <laughs> and uh, and, you know, I, I was <laughs> and I felt, you know, I felt a little out of place, but I did. I was I was happy with my performance in that water. And then, you know, coming out of the water and then getting the support from the crowd at the time was was, you know, something I, I, I won't forget. So. You know, the CrossFit community has always been, whether it's here or, or outside of our region, supportive. And like the hijab just didn't make a difference at all. Of course not. They just love seeing people move and, and suffer. Yeah. That's it. Move and work hard and you get the accolades. You know, maybe I'm just cynical. But the same people who judge you in a negative way for wearing it for whatever or give you the weird looks – they're, to me, they're just the same as the people congratulating you. And I know that when you're the only person there doing it, 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 it's a little bit different. But it would be nice if it just didn't matter. Yeah, that's true. Like yeah. it wasn't it, – it, it would be nice if it was just like, yeah, yo, what's up? Hi, good job. You looked a little slower than yesterday. What's yeah. wrong? You know, or, you know, just like just judge her on her performance or, you know, like her effort or – but but that's awesome. That's awesome that you did that. And and obviously, um, people have to break new ground. And if they're not, and, and and when you break new ground, people aren't used to seeing someone swim in one of these events in a in a in a, in a full body suit. Then then it's it's something different. Yeah. I mean, I remember at the Olympics one year that lady had the I, I think her name was Flojo. She had the track suit with one leg missing. You know, uh, and that yeah yeah. I don't think it was for religious reasons, but. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but people dug it. There is, so these, these people, these CrossFit men and women, and by the way, so you, you are the fittest mom in Kuwait. Is that true? I, I'm claiming that title for myself. <laughs> but awesome. yeah, I don't, I claim to be, I don't, <laughs> I've tried claim to be the funniest podcast ever too. So go ahead. You know, I don't, you I, none of my competitors, not, not only in, in Kuwait, but within the, the Gulf countries, uh, are moms. And it's been that way since I started. Um, you know, my competitive career in CrossFit, you know, it, it basically took off after I became a mom. I went to regionals in 2013, but then that was my, my only competition before before motherhood. And um, and yeah, so I mean, I, I compete in the open. I do some, you know, some local and regional competitions and there haven't been any moms that have surpassed me so i guess i can claim that title <laughs> they you know well, they should seven, just to have be, that they should have that go ahead brian go ahead brian she's knows. been go the, ahead, brian. she's been the the second fittest uh each of the last two years in the open well i didn't check this year's but 2019 and 2020 to the same woman so as long as that woman's not a mom her, her title's <laughs> legit that's yeah. a very that's true that's a very easy thing to look at yeah um is your goal to win is your goal to win the open in, yeah, in I your, hope so. In your region, I hope so. I'm gonna try. I mean, this year was kind of a disaster for me. I tried to do the open by myself at home with my kids, and like they kept pushing the camera down, and I just gave up. Um, <laughs> so hopefully, yeah, working on for next year. Imagine that, people. Some of you CrossFit nuts out there, imagine you want to enter the open, but you have two kids and you can't because of. <laughs> <laughs> sabotage 
I mean, that, because I mean, we, had, that, we had we had gyms were under like lockdown and, and and we had a curfew, so I couldn't you know go and do it at a gym either. Schools are closed. There's no daycare. So I mean, I'm with my kids twenty four seven. So you, where are they now? Oh, they're asleep. Their bedtime was before are they in this the interview. Room now? Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I appreciate you taking the time. It's very obvious from your Instagram that you have a very, very busy day. Thank you. Have you worked out today? Not yet. I will after this interview. Awesome. I work, I'm a late night. Where I, I probably don't work out as hard as you, but I work out at night too. After the kids are down around 9.30 or 10, I go in the garage. You have a pretty nice gym at your house. I'm, I was actually surprised. Thank you. It's uh, it's actually a very small space. We're, we're in a, an apartment building, so I can't drop the weights or anything. Um, but, uh, actually I prefer working out in the morning. I'm usually working out at 7am or 8am, but with Ramadan, um, I'd rather not work out fasted. So I'll break my fast, you know, have a couple of hours of rest and then I'll do my workout. But, but like you said, I'm realizing working out at night, the benefit of that is not having my kids interrupt me. So I might continue this after Ramadan. <laughs> Do you ever would you ever wake up on 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 Ramadan? Do you ever wake up on Ramadan before the sun? Before like you 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 look on your phone and you're like, okay, the sun rises at six forty seven. I'm gonna wake up at six forty so I can get a quick few bites in. Do you ever do that? No, I mean the majority of people do that. They will you know set an alarm so they can wake up and they'll have their last meal before they have to fast. But I'd rather not. I'd rather sleep. Like, I'll just have a big meal before going to bed, and I'll sleep, and I know my kids are going to wake me up in a couple of hours. So I'd rather not not wake up and have a meal and then go back to sleep. I, I can't do that. It almost, it almost seems like cheating. I'm, I'm, I'm just going <laughs> to say it's cheating. <laughs> do, you, do you bring your kids to the gym? Yeah, they're with me when I coach. Oh, they are. Yeah, I have a busy. uh, I have a little corner for them with all their toys. And, you know, they sometimes they'll join in and they'll do their own little workout. My seven year old, like she has a notebook. She likes to program for herself (laughs) and she'll do a little workout. But, you know, I make sure to bring snacks, lots of entertainment and they'll keep themselves busy. It's tough, but I mean, it's my only option. And you said your husband's name is Youssef? Yeah, Yusuf. Yeah. Yusuf, um, is that's that's Joseph, right? Yeah, basically. Yeah, it's the same. Yeah, Yusuf. I have a Joseph. Yeah. One of my sons' name is Joseph. And when my yeah. and when my grandmother, you know, would call my my dad's name is Joseph, and when my grandmother would call him, she called him that Yusuf. Yusuf. Yeah. Uh, do, does he does he work at the gym? Is he training at the gym also? Yeah. Uh, he. Basically, you know, our gym is where I think I can say that we're the only gym in Kuwait. There are many CrossFit gyms in Kuwait. Not all of them are affiliated. I think we're the only one that's affiliated. But um, uh, basically, we're the only basically family run gym. A lot of them are commercial, um, big, big gyms. And uh, our gym is basically run by myself and my husband. And it's always been since it's opened in 2012. At first, it was just him, and then and then I joined in with him. And he runs and manages the men's facility. I run and manage and coach the women's facility. 
Um, but my husband, um, he has a long background in sports. He used to do jujitsu for many years. Um, he also competed in CrossFit as well, uh, along with me. Um, re- the past few years, he, he's been focused more on uh, coaching and he's, He's really good at coaching competitive athletes. The the fittest athlete in Kuwait right now is is his athlete, um, the fittest in Kuwait, and um, he's uh, he's really good at what he does when it comes to coaching. He's coached me all these years as well. So, do you enjoy being coached by him? It's really hard. It's hard for me to. It's hard for me to. <laughs> It's hard for me to separate the the husband and coach relationship. Can't you just put on the hijab and it just makes you humble and <laughs> modest and you can handle all the coaching in the world? <laughs> I mean, I have been all these years and, and he's helped me achieve many things um, when it comes to competing. But um, but yeah, it's, it's not easy stuff. <clears throat> I wonder if something – I hear that a lot, that it's hard to be coached by your mate. And, and I, I don't have my head wrapped around it because some – was it hard before you were married? No. I, I, you know, I think it's, it's, mostly, it's mostly on me. He's, uh, he's just the type, of, the type of coach that he is. He's very, you know, like when his, with, with his competitors especially. Like if you, if you perform really well, he's not going to, you know, say anything. But if you perform badly, he'll let you know. So, like, if you're performing well to him, that's what you're supposed to be doing. And for me, as his athlete, but I'm also his wife, like, I'd want, you know, some encouragement, you know, some nice motivating words. And I don't get that. And then I take it personally. And <laughs> it's just. So the, right. uh, the best, you know, the best female crosser in the world is obviously Tia Claire Tumu, who's coached yeah, by her, I- her husband <laughs> as well. and. There's been some uh, some scenes of them in their training in some of the documentaries. Have you guys watched those together? And when you do, do you guys like? Are you able to laugh about some of the similarities, or is it awkward at all? Oh, I'm I'm the I'm the big CrossFit fan. I'm the one that watches all the YouTube videos and all the you know all the media that comes from CrossFit. Yusuf doesn't doesn't watch much of that, so I'll just come to him and tell him. By the way, did you know that this and this did this and that? But you know. He he's he's in his own little bubble. So, is your sister still doing CrossFit? No, no, she's not. My sister isn't much into fitness. She's uh, she's uh, she's an artist and she's uh, a jewelry designer and she's like really focused on that side. Um, I don't have anyone in my family who's into fitness uh, as much as I try to encourage it. So but got- um, yeah. So you guys went to your first CrossFit class together. You picked up a healthy lifestyle, a husband and a couple of kids, and she went back to to art. I love it. <laughs> you scored. What do your parents think? What's your mom think? And, and why do you think you like this? What do you think in your upbringing made you um, receptive to something that's so hard? You know, I didn't grow up competitive at all. Like even with when it comes to like board games and stuff, like I would I would try to avoid any form of confrontation. Um, I was very quiet growing up and um, I don't really know what it is with CrossFit. I think maybe it's because, you know, even though I am competing against other athletes in the gym, it's it's me, me against myself. And and I think that's something that attracted me to it. Um, So, you know, if I'm 
it's basically working working against the clock and trying you know to make myself become better and like i said it's it's like i found something that i was good at that i saw that i had potential in something that i could you know see progress in and work towards a specific goal and i enjoyed it i don't know it made me feel um the feeling it gave me wasn't like anything else i've experienced before like i felt you know i felt strong i felt empowered and those were just great feelings to have um when it comes to my family uh i think there's you know when when i first started it was you know they just saw it as a hobby okay sure you can have fun with it but um my mom refuses to see any videos uh, of me lifting weights um my parents have never attended any of my competitions when they're uh, like local competitions um they support me but they don't want to see any of it you know like my family um i grew up you know i feel very blessed my family has always been supportive but you know they're not the biggest fan of the idea of you know girls lifting heavy weights and i'm sure that's not just with my family i'm sure that's a common um a common thought amongst many families not just you know in our region but you know in many countries you know the idea of of women lifting weights is still not 100% accepted everywhere um but um but yeah they support me but they just they don't want to don't want to see it <laughs> you feel like that's it's shifting really, at all or if it's important that it changes like the perception that it's not okay for women to lift lift weights yeah for sure it has to change i mean it it, it slowly is but i mean it's still there is a, a majority of the, of the population that just that doesn't agree with it men and women Do you expect that to but take a long time or what do you think could be like a, a way that could push that forward? I mean, maybe I'm just so, so wrapped up in my own little CrossFit bubble between my work and, and, and what I do. But, but for me, I see that CrossFit changed many things in Kuwait. There are a lot of girls that got introduced to lifting through CrossFit. Um, we have a lot of girls that came through our gym and then eventually became members of other gyms or, or went to other sports and lifting continued to be part of their life and you know i think i think it's it's taking that first step into you know into a gym or or the, that taking that first step into learning how to um lift weights and and basically do hard things in the gym cuz you know people are so used to being in their comfort zone nobody wants to feel uncomfortable and even here you know if i if i'm working out or if i'm exhausted or if like my 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 hand is ripped or i have like a bruise from the bar or something the the comment will always be like you know why are you doing this to yourself like why are you you know um what's the point of you hurting yourself in that way but they they just don't understand um the you know the outcome or, or the the benefits of going and doing hard things and coming out on the other side of that just the feeling is just you 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 can't describe it unless you experience it for yourself so i think it it is important for for women to to have the opportunity to try it for themselves and then they can decide if it's something for them or not we in the united states we have a culture pretty strong culture i w- i wouldn't say for everyone but it's definitely a strong piece of the culture here of people trying to avoid discomfort avoid pain get the easy way out same um, here not take personal responsibility i mean and it's 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 programmed into us at a young age it's very subtle but like like you know 
from the subtlest things to your parents telling you to wear a jacket outside because you'll get a cold, which you won't. I mean, unless you live in Wisconsin. But um, there's this constant like avoiding discomfort. Yeah. So you say same here. You see that you see that there too. There's a like, hey, we have all of these modern things. Why put yourself through? It's almost like For they sure. don't realize that 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 really what you're doing through that discomfort is making yourself stronger and actually making life more fun, richer, and more yes. enjoyable. So like they're yes. having fun being safe and no discomfort. But the fact that if you and I, if I'm a CrossFitter and you're a guy who drinks milkshakes all day and we go for a walk, it's fun for me. I get to look at the birds. You're struggling to take a breath. I've, yeah. I've, I've made room to, you know, look at lizards and birds and chat with you when we walk and you're, you're gasping for air. Well, you don't yeah. like that, Brian? What are you laughing at? It's been a while since I've had a milkshake. Maybe I should have one. <laughs> no, definitely don't have one. You work so hard on your body. You work so hard on what you eat. And you say your sister is an artist, and your body is your art. It is something that you're working on, you're, you're, you're honing, you're fine-tuning. When I've had women on the podcast before, people have said to me, people have accused me of being sexist or saying inappropriate things um, to them. And, and it's and it's really insane because I've said the exact same things to men. It has nothing to do with someone's sex. Like I've said, you know, I've told no Olson, God, I'd die to have your body. You have the most beautiful body ever or Josh Bridges or, you know, Rich Froning. There's, there's, there's humans with beautiful bodies and you, but you can't say those things to women for some reason because, I mean, you can, I can, but people are afraid to, right? Yeah. Because they think maybe you're being sexist, but especially if, if you work on your body all the time and you're always and, – and, and that's been what you do for 10 years and you're honing this body to win the CrossFit Games, people should be able to pretty much ask you anything about it, right? Like, hey, um, do you shower after workouts? Do you get more yeast infections b because you work out? Do you get less yeast infections? You should be able to ask anything. How does it affect your menses? It, it's like and, – and, and the person you ask the question to has the opportunity to say, no, I don't, I don't want to talk about that. But it's not like you're asking something out of context. It's the same thing if you had a Ferrari. I should be able to say to you, what's the gas mileage on that? Do those eat, drink more gas? How fast does it go? I heard an oil change on a Ferrari is $1,000. Is that true? I mean you should be able to ask – I mean it, it, you're an outlier and you're breaking new ground and, and it's, it's the focus. It's your art. Hey, what kind asked your sister? Hey, what kind of a gem is that in a rock? So my question to you is this, you work on this body so hard. You're in this community where people are very proud of their bodies and they're showing off their hard work. They're showing off their artistry and yet your body is completely covered. Is that ever a challenge with you? Like you're like, Oh my God, no one gets to see like this is this effort is now being expressed with these veins or these calluses or these calves or th my neck has gotten longer. Do you ever feel like, Hey, this is kind of silly that no one, no one can observe it. Do you ever have that? Oh, I just want to just like show someone. You know, the, the, the great thing about CrossFit is what if is you just, what if you just you? answer this? What if you just answer this? Like, no, what if you just said no to me? You're like, no. Next question. No, but, but why, why would I, I, I'm, I'm here to Sorry. have a conversation. So I'm, I'm, I'd be more than happy to answer. Right, right. But, um, you know, what I wanted to say is, is, you know, CrossFit, the, the beautiful thing about it is it teaches you to focus on your performance. And that's the message I try to preach when it comes to coaching. 
um, where sure, I mean, a byproduct of that is having a nice body. But when it comes to CrossFit, it's all about showing off our performance. And for me, because I can't show off my body, let's say on social media, um, I, I try to focus more on, you know, performance. So I can show people what my body can do as opposed to how it looks. Um, but when it comes to coaching, like I said, where for me in my classes, we're a woman's only facility. So I for sure show off my body when I'm coaching. I don't have to be covered up when I'm coaching um, my woman only classes. So, and then, you know, you know, what happens so, is so like my members, they'll be like, you know, they'll, it'll be like word of mouth, you know, like this coach looks like this or whatever, because they see me in person and that's how it works. So you can, so your clients can see the product. Like, hi, I'm yeah, high. I've sure. been doing CrossFit from 2012. This is yeah. how my DNA is expressing. I, you may not see it on Instagram, but if you yeah. come, th- and 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 this is the product. Yeah. Wow, man, you got all the answers. <laughs> you got all the answers. Go ahead, Brian. So. Hi, that time, when you competed at Wadapalooza, that was not your first time competing in Miami, was it? Uh, I was, um, it wasn't Miami. I forgot. I think it was in Orlando. There was a competition called the Crush Games. I don't know if they do it anymore. Um, and I competed at the Crush Games. I think it Games. might still be around, but. <clears throat> I was, I think I was, I was but five had, to six months had... after having my first child at that time. And I didn't wear the hijab at that year. So this has been a like a big topic in the CrossFit space recently because several very um, prolific games athletes, female games athletes like Annie Thor's daughter, Kara Saunders, and a few others have had children recently, and people have been talking about how they've been able to um, well either train during pregnancy, which is a big big question that a lot of people have different perspectives on, and also mm-hmm. what's a realistic time frame following that pregnancy to either just get back to training in general. Or to to be like competitive once again, and I saw that on your um, coach's profile for your uh, your gym there that it was only five months after giving birth you were competing, and it wasn't exactly a local competition either. You were yeah. traveling and competing, so I thought it'd be not cool for you to talk about what that was like and what your experience has been training through pregnancy and then getting back to training following giving birth. Sure, yeah, I I completely see where you come from when it comes. The, to the idea that, you know, there's all these famous CrossFit Games athletes that are having babies all at the same time. Um, but people are acting like, you know, they're the first athletes to do so. Um, when actually, you know, we had uh, Valerie Voberal years ago and she was, she, you know, she gave, I can't remember if it was second or third. Um, uh, she podiumed at the Games and she had just had a baby. Uh, she was my biggest inspiration at the time. And, you know, because at, at that time, there weren't many top games athletes that were mothers. It was just Valerie who j- had just had a baby. And then you had uh, Elizabeth Akinwali. But her son, her son was a little older, I think. But I really looked up to those two athletes because of the fact that they were mothers. Um, and I, you know, funny story, I actually saw Valerie Vobrel at Wadapalooza. But I, I, I saw her and I started crying and I couldn't go and say hi to her. <laughs> Because I had looked up to her for so long. Um, <laughs> she was like my inspiration. Um, but yeah, when it, when it comes to working out during um, pregnancy, 
Um, you know, I, of course, I was, I was a little nervous uh, with my first pregnancy. My second pregnancy was completely different. I was, I went into it very confident. And um, at that time, I had, you know, I had gained lots of experience throughout the years. It, the, I had a four years uh, difference between my first pregnancy and my second pregnancy. Um, so with my first one, uh, I was a little nervous, but I had, I had at the time, um, there used to be this website called crossfitmom.com or momcrossfit.com or something like that. Um, it doesn't exist anymore. Um, I used to, I used to look at that website a lot. And I also, um, stumbled upon, uh, Lindsay Matthews from BirthFit. She has this whole company, um, uh, uh, of training women during pregnancy and, and after pregnancy. And we just happened to be, um, I've been to the States a couple of times and that was the, when I had found out I was pregnant with my first child, um, my husband and I were going to California. It was like our, our delayed honeymoon vacation sort of. And we went there and I had emailed Lindsay and I asked to meet up with her because I had just found out I was pregnant and I was worried about how I was going to continue training and stuff like that. And I actually went in person to her, to her gym and, and met up with her and, you know, she gave me full support and she gave me, you know, great tips and she made me feel very confident that I could continue training through my pregnancy. Um, obviously, you know, there are precautions and there are things that I need to, um, keep in mind. Um, but I was being smart about it and, um, and yeah, and, and I'm, I'm so thankful, you know, because after having my child, people assume that after you have a baby, you know, you know, you're, you're, you know, uh, you can't pursue your goals when it comes to, you know, um, sports. And my competitive career actually took off after I became a mother. And I, you know, I achieved my most, you know, my, my best achievements happened after I became a mother. So, um, yeah, you just, uh, it, it's hard, but you have to work around it. And, you know, I competed with my daughter and I traveled, I traveled to several countries with her during competition. I also breastfed my kids during competition. You know, I, I've, I've been through it all. And I, and I had mentioned to Zavon that I had two, both of my childs were born through emergency C-section and I was able to come back to competing after that as well. So, you know, with the right support, the right guidance, it, uh, you can make it work. Um, but yeah, it's exciting to see top games athletes that are now coming back and, and are very open about their journey and they're talking about it because it's nice. It's nice to have more athletes to relate to because at the time I would look around and it was hard to find anyone that I could relate to. I think Libby DiBiase, this is going back to like 2008 or nine or 10 or something like that. And I could be wrong about this and I, I should double check, but maybe she was even pregnant and she didn't know it at the CrossFit games, then had the baby after the CrossFit games and then came back and competed again at the CrossFit games. And I also remember there was a mom on T Tommy Hackenbrook's team a year. He won the regionals and she would run off the court and breastfeed off the field and breastfeed her child. And then come back and compete again. And I think they yeah, won I've that done regional. that. <laughs> and I was like, man, yeah. she, she needs her own. You have done that. Um, tell yeah. me about that. So what, tell me about that competition. That is some wild. Yeah. There, I mean, the, the team competitions, I'm sure there are, there are moms mm -hmm. in the team competition. There's also, um, the team that, um, I forgot what the team was called. They're the team that beat mayhem, um, in the games a couple of years back. Uh, they had, 
Yeah, they had, um, I think her name's Michaela, Michaela North. Uh, she has like, I don't know how many kids, three or four kids or five kids. And um, she was also Let's someone that 12. I look up Let's to. Let's say 12. <laughs> She's pretty amazing. <laughs> She's pretty amazing as well. But, you know, you know they, they joke about, you know, something when they say, you know, they're, you know, you have mom strength or whatever. But I, I 100% believe in that because, you know, after you become a mom, it's like, You're, you're responsible for this other human being and, you know, your whole world revolves around taking care of them. So, so when it comes to yourself, it's like you kind of have like this no excuse attitude. Like you just have to go after it. Like you just have to get things done because you have to be there for this other human being. And, you know, I think that that just makes you, it, it makes you stronger you know, physically and mentally. That's what I experienced. I mean, if, if you allow yourself to, to feel that way, I'm sure there are moms who, who probably break down under that pressure and don't, don't allow themselves to experience that. But, but for me, motherhood for sure made me a stronger athlete. I, I remember one time my wife, I don't remember how old our son was. He was under a year. It was our first child. And she said, oh, hey, they're doing a Murph, a Murph, I forget what the day was, like Memorial Day or whenever they do that. And they're doing Murph at this local, I think it was CrossFit Oakland. And I want to go there and just jump in and do it. And I said, okay. And she literally was breastfeeding, did Murph, broke her record, her record for it. It was, it was, uh, I want to say somewhere around 40 minutes and a few seconds. And then, and then immediately while she still couldn't catch her breath, the baby was breastfeeding again. Yeah. And I was just, there was a, was like, I, I can't even, I can't even believe what I'm seeing. It it's amazing, so cool. really. It's so, it's I was so, so proud of my son that he had, yeah, I was so proud for my son that he had such a great, strong mom that could do that for herself and do that for him. Yeah. We had a local competition. They... Sorry. Yeah, I was just no, going to no, say ahead. that we had a local competition like that. And, and, um, it was, it was in Kuwait. It was one of the big competitions that happens in Kuwait. It's called Battle of the East. And I was breastfeeding at the time. So in between events, I would drive back home where my mother-in-law was watching my daughter and I would breastfeed her and then I'd drive back to the competition and and then I eventually won that competition and it was like one of my proudest moments um so yeah it's uh it it when whenever later on I face anything that's difficult I remind myself of all these different moments and it just makes me feel you know like I'm capable of doing anything I set my mind to it's pretty it's pretty amazing When you drove to your mother-in-law and mother-in-law's house to breastfeed the kids, was there ever a time you were just like, okay, I'm done. I'm not going back to the competition. None, not at all. <laughs> awesome. And can you imagine if, if your mom saw you six months pregnant, cleaning 135 pounds, would she just totally freak out? Yes. <laughs> She'd freak out if I was cleaning that weight now. <laughs> <laughs> Because I freak, I freaked out watching my wife do it, but I freaked out in a good way. You know, she's she's setting PRs in some single lifts, um, not not tremendous PRs, but sending some PRs. You know, be, being able to uh, on the minute for ten minutes clean 135 pounds, and she's like six or seven months pregnant. And I'm like, you couldn't do this when you started. Like, like where's the strength coming from? And then it's got to go around the big old belly, and it's just like, it's pretty. It's pretty remarkable. It's a pretty there's a, thing. There's a couple of months it, within pregnancy where you feel super strong. It's pretty cool. <laughs> like right in the middle of pregnancy. Do you, 
Yeah, and I think I did notice that too. Yeah, she felt she felt really, really good. What she, did you have morning sickness? No, I would feel a little nauseous, but no morning sickness. Not in my first pregnancy or my third or my second. And I'm so thankful for for not having that. Are you predicting a third? No, no, no. <laughs> I'm done with two. <laughs> my, I, I, my, my wife really had bad morning sickness, but as soon as it cleared, you know, after I forget how many months, but then, mm. then it was just game on. Yeah. It was game on. Um, do you, did you not use a, you don't use a pump? You didn't use, pump any milk? No, I didn't. And I didn't, I tried it once. I didn't enjoy pumping at all. I, it just made me feel very uncomfortable. Well, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you just drove. It's interesting because my, we, yeah, I think that's the same with my wife. I think we bought a pump, but I, I don't think in all three kids I ever saw it come out of the box. Yeah. So it's, it's just so yeah. much easier to, to just breastfeed. And, and that was one of the reasons why we had kids. My mom, my wife's, my mom, Jesus, my, <laughs> my wife saw, um, other women breastfeeding and she was like, Hey, I want to have that experience. That was yeah. like one of the things. And, and, an she, and, she, and she really embraced the pregnancy part too. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. I bet. I'm going to come back as a woman in my next life. There was a time on your Instagram account where you said you erased your IG. Tell tell me about that. What 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 was going on that you that you erased your Instagram? I remember the post, but I'm trying to remember what I was going through at the time. Um, I don't remember a hundred percent, but I know that. Yeah, I I think it was just getting overwhelmed with social media in general. I mean, um, my Instagram account, as much as I enjoy documenting, you know my journey as an athlete or whatever it's also part of my work and i think i had i had put a lot of pressure and a lot of expectations on myself in in terms of how i wanted my social media account to be and i was following a lot of different advice and tips on how to grow in social media and stuff like that and i think i just put a lot of pressure on myself i got overwhelmed and i just needed to take a step back I sort of view social media as people's own personal. Do you guys have People Magazine in Kuwait? No, but I know I know People Magazine. Do you know what that is? Yeah. Okay, and so it's kind of like you're 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 kind of in charge of your own gossip magazine. Yeah. Yeah. And really, what social media? What or not really? What one of the things that social media shows people, and I, they probably miss this all the time, is just how free you're not. Yeah. Because because of because of all the manipulation you're trying to do to give off a certain image, whether it's conscious mm-hmm. or unconscious. Yeah. And it, it's it's and it's a it's a um it can be used like that, like a spiritual tool. The same the same the same way that like, you know, when you interact with your parents, you realize this is a chance to work on myself. Your parents may say something that upsets you and you have to work on yourself. I mean, you're now an adult. You don't want to fight with your parents. You want to work through these things. You want to clear the air before they die. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and there's, and, and there's, you know, we pick up their issues and now you're an adult and the issues have to work themselves out. And I feel like social media is a lot like that. And I've come to those terms since more and more since, um, when I was uh, fired from CrossFit HQ a few months ago, that mm. basically all of a sudden I just felt free and I didn't even realize yeah. I had a cage around me. I didn't even realize I was a trapped, a trapped animal. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. because I was trying and, and not in a bad way. And that's not CrossFit HQ's fault. I did that to myself, but you're kind of, um, you're trying to play within someone else's rules. Right. And yeah. so, yeah. It, were, were you able to, were you able to let yourself go of that pressure and be like, okay, I'm not going to worry about garnering using this as a business tool, or I'm not going to worry about garnering more followers. I'm just going to be myself and let the chips fall where they are. Like, was there ever a remedy to that? Yeah, for sure. That's what I, that's what I told myself. I stopped, you know, I stopped obsessing over, um, I stopped obsessing over the numbers and making sure, you know, that the content I put out is, um, is going to please the followers instead, instead of, you know, something that I felt I wanted to, to post. Um, but also I think, you know, I was trying really hard to, to speak to a, a part of our community that I might not usually relate to. I mean, I, I grew up going to an American school. I studied abroad. So, I mean, I, I speak and read and write Arabic, but I, I'm, I'm very comfortable with English. And uh, I think I went through a phase where I wanted to um, add more Arabic content to my page. And it just, it was not, I was not comfortable with it at all. And I felt pressured and like it wasn't 100% genuine. So I just went back to doing what I was comfortable doing with. Do you, do you guys recruit women? Are you guys openly, uh, recruits maybe a too strong of a word. Do you guys have a, uh, a way that you're reaching out to women in, in Kuwait, in your culture to let them know, Hey, this is, this is for you. you What do you mean in terms of what? It it just, just word of mouth. Like maybe you market specifically to women. Is that what you're asking yeah, yeah, for the gym, but but for exercise in general, like like for instance, like do you get um, asked to go speak to um, schools and to groups of girls, or do you ever reach out to schools and be like, hey, you know, I work out a lot and I think this would be really healthy for the girls here. Can I come talk to you, these girls? Or is there anything like that going on in your life? Yeah, for sure, we do get stuff like that. We get like, um, you know, we get uh, certain interviews, or they ask for uh, certain appearances, um, um, or like, uh, I mean. Uh, uh, live, uh, live interviews through Instagram is very popular here. Um, so they do stuff, they do stuff like that for sure. Do you have kids classes at your gym? Yeah, we do have kids classes and my husband coaches those classes. Are those co-ed? Yes. And is there a reason why he coaches them and not you? Yeah, he has more patience for other people's kids. I'm I'm fine with my kids. (laughs) (laughs) My two kids are enough. Yes. (laughs) I'm. Yes. Isn't it amazing how much more patient you can be with your own kids? (laughs) So, Haya, Haya, in two thousand in two thousand eighteen. You know, CrossFit changed the competitive landscape by making this um, possibility for the national champion in, in certain countries to get to the CrossFit Games. Did mm-hmm. that affect the CrossFit landscape in Kuwait in any way? For sure. People got so excited with the idea of a national champion. It was like something that they could work for, something that they could actually, you know, achieve. It felt like it was... um um 
uh, felt like, you know, something that wasn't, you know, like, I mean, cause, cause an athlete from Kuwait actually making it to the games through the, the, the normal way CrossFit used to do it through regionals or now semifinals seemed impossible. I mean, it's not impossible, but it seemed like so far, far away. So the idea of, of becoming a national champion got people really excited. A lot of people started training towards it. Um, I personally as well was hoping to to achieve that. I got second. I didn't make it, but um, but I didn't like the idea of national champions. I think it completely ruined the concept of finding the fittest. Um, but yeah. So I'm glad it's gone. Well, one of, one of the main reasons that there I want it is there's some there's, there's some blunt. blunt honesty. There's some blunt. So that one. That, sorry, Brian. Hold that. That is someone who's not not confused between her emotion and her intellect yes emotionally it's great it inspires a lot of people and gets the country moving intellectually makes no sense at all this goal yeah. is just to like find the fittest sorry i really like that's a well, great answer one, it, it is and one of the reasons i wanted to ask the question is because that year 2019 i was working at the crossfit games and i got a chance to interact with a lot of the national champions but i also interact with a lot of just people in the community and I heard that while there was always, of course, this excitement about having someone represent your country, it also was creating in certain countries a little bit of tension between gyms and athletes. And there was a little bit of controversy over maybe the standards or how they ended up being there. And then particularly, I have you know one instance in mind where in the first cut, I was talking to someone who's from a small country like Kuwait, watching the national champion of their country fail and fail and fail. And that person happened to finish, I think, third or fourth that year in the division. And he's like, I could do this workout and this guy can't. Obviously, the system is flawed. And then mm. like the broader spectrum is in a small country like that, I think it's it would generally be important for the community, regardless if there's separate gyms and whatever, for the community to have the same agenda, which is, you know, maybe it's to motivate women to to lift weights or something like that. But instead, it was creating a little bit of division because then athletes from different gyms were competing for that one spot and maybe cutting corners yeah. and losing sight of why they were doing this, you know, the bigger picture behind why they exercise. Yeah, for sure. Unfortunately, that is also a big thing here. Um, the, the idea of, of gyms competing against each other, even though in the end it's going to be someone representing our own country. Um, but yeah, there, there is a lot of tension. Uh, you know, I think one thing, uh, I can't speak for other places, but that this is what I see in Kuwait is, is with CrossFit because, because the, the line between doing CrossFit as a lifestyle and CrossFit competitively is sometimes so blur, blurry that, you know, you get people who are clueless with the idea of sportsmanship coming into comp competition. And then, you know, just losing sight of, of, you know, supporting your competitor or supporting, you know, someone who's going to be there to represent your country. And they're just thinking about themselves or thinking, you know, um, yeah, it just, it creates tension for sure. I think it's just a lack of sportsmanship. But, but again, the, uh, I think I know what country you're talking about, about the rope climb. Um, I've, I've heard all the drama and, uh, <laughs> And like I said, it's because of the test, the testing that year, the idea of taking a national champ, grabbing someone from the open, from a country, and then sending them over to the games. It's just not, it's, it wasn't right. That person is just not ready to be at the games. Hiya. 
Yeah. Haya al Sharhan. Did I say it right? Shar Sharhan. No. Yes. No. <laughs> Sharhan. Yes. Haya al Sharhan. Yes. Can you say my last name, Matosian? Matosian? Can you say Matosian? Matosian. Wow. Holy cow. <laughs> She's way better than I me. I don't believe you. You're Kuwaiti. You sound Armenian. <laughs> Thank you very much for your time. This was really, uh, this was really cool. I enjoyed it. Tell your parents thank you for having you. Tell, tell Yusef thank you for being such a good husband and giving you the time and space to whatever he's doing that's holding the kids down so we can talk to you. Um, and, uh, and, and we'll be in touch, I guess, in the future. We'll see each other on Instagram. Thank you so much. Um, I'm, I really appreciate you um, asking me to be here. I'm uh, a huge fan, Savan, of, of all your work throughout these years. I mean, you, you're the one who opened the door for us to, to basically have relationships with these CrossFit Games athletes, like finding something that we're able to relate to them. You made them more human for us. And, and you know, that's back then. But, but, but now, everything you talk about on Instagram, whether I agree with or I don't, it, it's, it's, it's opened my mind to many things. It's given me opportunity to have conversations about topics that people don't usually talk about including what you're doing with, with your kids, which is, I think is amazing. And I try to implement some of that stuff with my own kids. So I want to thank you for everything that you're doing. Um, and Brian, it was nice to meet you. And um, hopefully uh, I can speak to you guys again soon. Thank you for having me.